0: Let's get into message time. How many of you agree with me that everybody has fears? Can I see that hand? God bless that hand. I see that hand. Yeah, I read a survey not too long ago, USA Today, uh, surveyed 500 people and they found 7,000 fears. That's an average of 14 per person. Uh, some fears go all the way to what psychologists called phobias, and if you Google phobia, I encourage you to do that because it's, it's eye-opening, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds uh, of those. In fact, I thought I'd mention a few. See if you've, uh, if you've heard of some of these, okay? How many of you have heard of uh, agoraphobia? Heard of agoraphobia? It's the fear of, of what? Open spaces, fear of going out into the open. Not to be confused with angoraphobia, which is the fear of warm, fuzzy sweaters. That's not a real one, I made that up, okay? How about claustrophobia, heard of claustrophobia? That's the fear of being stuck in a closed space. Not to be confused with catastrophobia, which is the fear of being stuck in the nursery after service is over and everybody's gone. That's not real either. How about gymnophobia, heard of gymnophobia? No, this is a real one. Come on. GYM, gymnophobia, you know what that is? It's the fear of being seen naked in public. <laughs> I kid you not. I, maybe it comes from seventh grade gym class. I don't know. Uh, you know, Maybe it's your mama saying don't go out with holes in your underwear because you might get in a wreck. I don't know what it is, but gymnophobia is a very real phobia for some people, not to be confused with pasture gymnophobia, which is the fear that this joke wouldn't go over at all and you wouldn't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> so how about you? What are you afraid of? I mean if I could somehow uh, get into your minds or or whether you're online or here uh, and and see your deepest fears and put them up on the screen, what kind of list would we see? No doubt some of you would be afraid you're about to lose your job. Some maybe afraid that you're going to lose your marriage. Some are afraid that you're going to lose your kids cuz they've drifted into a a destructive lifestyle. Some have health fears. Certainly COVID-19 is on everybody's mind these days, uh, not to mention the big C. I mean, cancer doesn't get a lot of news these days, but it's a still very real thing that, that many in our church family uh, are wrestling with, and, and maybe some are waiting for test results. And so those are real things. Some people are just afraid that I'm going to talk too long today, and you won't beat the Baptist to the restaurant. Whatever it is, we're kicking off a new series today that we're calling Stop Running Scared. I need to be clear up front, lest I get misquoted, you know, pull a sound bite and say, Jim said something he didn't say. The reality is anyone who says he has no fear is not dealing with reality. It's true. They're called psychopaths, sociopaths. That's it. The fact of the matter is some fear is good. Hello? I mean, fear keeps you from doing stupid stuff. Fear gets you to slow down enough to at least calculate the risk before you step out there. The problem is not fear. The problem is when you come to where you're living under a cloud of fear, and that cloud... Impacts and defines how you make your life decisions so that you're making life decisions based on what the Bible calls a spirit of fear. Fear itself is not the problem. Living in a spirit of fear is the problem. So, over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack that. We're going to look at that in a good bit of detail. Today, I just want to give you God's antidote. For the spirit of fear, but first I want to identify uh, some of the damage that living in a spirit of fear can cause. Uh, My hope is that it'll motivate you to lean into this series and. uh uh, and learn everything you can from what the Word of God has to say. I want to motivate us to take the cure so that it's not just head knowledge, in fact, becomes heart knowledge. It becomes life defining, okay? So, again, today we'll be looking at fears throughout the series. Today, I want to look at God's antidote for fear, but le- first, let's identify the damage that it can cause, okay? I, I, I thought of four this week as I was preparing to share with you. I'm sure there's more. But first of all, uh, fear, the spirit of fear, paralyzes my potential, it limits my effectiveness. It keeps me from fulfilling my dreams. Ever ever known anybody, don't look at them, but ever known anybody who, who had a dream, but they were afraid to even give it a shot? Sure. Christian psychologist Paul Trinier says, all of us have reservoirs of full potential, vast areas of great satisfaction. But the road that leads to those reservoirs is guarded by the dragons of fear. Picture it, I'm here, my potential is there and it's a huge reservoir of satisfaction if I can just get from here to there. But the only way I get from here to there is to slay the dragons of fear that guard it. You may think that's... Not a common thing, but in fact it is. Even Jesus' disciples fell prey to that soon after the crucifixion. Look at John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, understand what the first day of the week is, Jesus has gone through all of it. The night of trials, the crucifixion, he's been buried, he's risen from the grave. First day of the week. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He revealed himself to them in what setting? Locked inside their house for fear. The question is, were the doors locked from the outside or the inside? They were locked from the inside, weren't they? You see, the spirit of fear becomes a self-imposed prison that holds us back from reaching our potential. I want to hurry because I want to get to the antidotes. The second problem with the spirit of fear is it ruins my relationships. It's been true since the beginning of human history. Adam and Eve fell prey to it. Genesis chapter 3 verse 10, the the famous quote, I was afraid so I hid. Adam and Eve sinned. Fear entered the equation. God came down for his daily visit and they, they hid from him. They put clothes on for the first time and they hid from him and they tried to cover up their sin. That's what the spirit of fear does every time. We hide. We we cover up. We we don't say what needs to be said because we're afraid of what the reaction or response might be. We, we, We try to to be somebody we're not in order to have a relationship with somebody we don't think they'll like us if we're real with them about who we are. You know, if I tell you who I really am, you might not like me, and I don't want to be alone. I'm afraid to be alone, so I try to discover what you want to hear, and I say what you want to hear in order to keep you close. Whatever the relationship, the greatest loss of intimacy comes when the spirit of fear comes between you and the person you're trying to relate to. So it paralyzes my potential. It ruins my relationships. It makes me miserable. Spirit of fear makes me miserable. Proverbs 12, 25, Solomon said, anxiety weighs down the heart. You don't have to respond. Sit real still uh, so nobody will know. But how many of you have ever been just absolutely miserable because of something you were worried about? That may or may not even happen. It's true. Alfred Hitchcock famously said, I turn my fears into movies and scare the rest of you. <laughs> I give you that quote because that's exactly what happens. Fears become like movies that we play over and over and over in our heads. We rewind and play. What if? What if it not? What if it happens this way? What if that happens? What if? What if? Until we're absolutely miserable human beings. So it paralyzes our potential. It, it, it sabotages our relationships. It, it makes me absolutely miserable. The bottom line is it sabotages my, my future. Job 3:25. Job said, "I feared what has come upon me, what I dread has happened to me." You ever felt that way? I'm guessing we've all seen the time when, when the spirit of fear kind of took over, and what we feared happening actually happened as though... Because you know, we knew it was going to happen as though it became a self fulfilling prophecy. Uh, and, and it's true, we do. Again, Ternier in his book, The Strong and the Weak, says fear tends to create what it fears. The fear of becoming just like your father or mother causes you to focus on them and become more and more like them. The fear that you can't keep commitments keep you from making them wholeheartedly so you don't. The fear of disappointing someone keeps you from acting naturally so you end up disappointing them anyway. You ever known somebody? Met somebody new and tried so hard to impress them they left the exact opposite impression? Because they were so afraid. I mean, we could go on talking about damage, but I really want to get into the antidote that God's laid out for us. But, I, but hopefully I've made my point. I hope, hope you've heard me when I, when I really, really, really have been praying for some time uh, about this series that the Lord laid on my heart to do uh, many months ago. Uh, even pre-COVID, the Lord said, you know, it's time to deal with this issue of fear. And, and, and I think in the perfect timing of things, this is the time for us to address this And what I want is for this to be real, practical, life-changing kind of stuff for us, guys, as we get into the Word of God and say, I will not live under the spirit of fear, which is, in fact, the antidote that God has given to us. Next three weeks, we're going to look at the causes and cures of some very specific fears. We're going to look at the fear of rejection. Peer pressure is profound at every age. We're going to look at the fear of failure that keeps us from, from reaching out and trying new things. We're going to look at the fear of commitment that holds us back from things that God has for us. But first, let's lean into the antidote. And it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. If you're a student of the Bible, you're no doubt familiar with this one. Maybe you don't recognize the address, but you'll probably have heard the phrase before. Here we go. It's on the screens. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love power and a sound mind. Again, let let me be sure that, that I'm clear about this thing. Fear itself is not bad. Fear itself keeps us from doing stupid stuff. It helps us to avoid foolish risks. But the spirit of fear is a problem because when the spirit of fear overwhelms us, it then impacts our decision-making process, and we miss out on the abundant life that Jesus Christ has for us. In fact, I put it in chart form, kind of a pendulum. I don't know if you can tell that red pendulum on the screens or not, but uh, you can see it on the side screens a little bit better, but... but, on the one extreme, you've got paralyzed by fear. That's certainly the spirit of fear that's overwhelmed. On the right side of the pendulum, you've got recklessness. So, you know, the, the, the biblical answer is neither recklessness nor living in fear of your shadow. What's the balance? The balance is love, power, and self-discipline, a sound mind. The balance is I'm willing to look at what God is calling me to do and step out in faith. Take it and evaluate risks and then step out in faith when God calls. That's the goal. That's where we want to get. And one of the things that I love about the Apostle Paul is that he just, he's so good at saying, don't do this, instead do that. Choose this, choose that. I mean, he's just really read through Paul's letters. If you haven't, read through it with that kind of mentality, that kind of lens, and you'll pick that stuff all the time. The The last series that we did, we called the third person we talked about, he gave us, Two choices. You guys that were here, remember what the choices were? You can either be intoxicated by the spirits of this world, or you can be filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. But you have to choose. Anybody remember what the default setting was? The default setting is to be controlled by the spirits of this world. So we have to be true, we have to choose to be filled with, empowered by, the Holy Spirit of God. Well, he's saying the very same thing here. He's saying, you can be controlled by the spirit of fear. It's one of the spirits of this world. Or you can be empowered by the spirit of love, power, and the sound mind. Those are all products of the Holy Spirit. But you have to choose because because the default setting is, do you want to say it or do you want me to? It's the spirit of fear. Does that make sense? So let's just unpack love, power, and sound mind in just a few minutes we've got. And lean into it and take that antidote today. I I really just kind of want to walk through that. And then I'm going to ask you to choose with me this morning. The first ingredient in God's antidote to the spirit of fear is love. 1 John 4, verse 18. I like the way the Phillips paraphrases that it. it says love contains no fear indeed fully developed love expels every particle of fear stop there we'll finish the verse in a minute john is simply saying that fear and love can't exist together let me say that again fear and love cannot exist together unlike the guy who sent a note to his fiance a love note and he signed it 1 john 4:18 and he just thought, sure, that she was going to gush and call him back and tell him how much she loved him, but he didn't hear from him. Two weeks went by. Uh, he never heard from her. And he's going, what in the world's going on? And then he finally asked her, he finally got up the courage to ask her, why, why didn't you respond to my note? And he found out that he had signed it, not First John 4.18, but John 4:18. He forgot to put the first in there. You know what John 4, 4, 18 is? It's Jesus talking to the woman at the well, and he says, the fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now ain't your husband. Oops. <laughs> so, why is love one of the ingredients to the antidote for the spirit of fear? The truth is, it's only one of the antidotes when two things are true about it. First of all, um, love only dispels fear when I live in an awareness of God's love for me. If I want love to dispel fear, I have to accept God's offer of love. I have to trust God's offer of love. When I do, fears begin uh, to fade because there's no fear in love because God is love, and he's never afraid. So, I recommend anytime you sense the spirit of fear kind of rising up within you, say to yourself, say it over and over again, rehearse it and repeat it, Lord, I love you and you love me. Lord, you love me and I love you. Just rehearse that. It's amazing how quickly fear begins to dissipate when love begins to fill your mind. Paul goes on then to tell us why that's true in the rest of 1 John four eighteen love contains no fear. Indeed, fully developed love expels every particle of fear. Then he says, for fear, what does it say? Read it with me. For fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying as long as I'm walking around feeling guilty about something that I've done or failed to do, I'm going to live in fear of being found out. I'm going to live in fear of the repercussions if it comes out. But when I have faced it, I've accepted forgiveness, offered apologies where necessary, fear begins to fade. It's amazing how freeing life becomes when you ain't got nothing to hide when there ain't nothing that you live in fear of somebody finding out. Does that mean you're perfect? No, none of us are perfect. It means I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I mess up, I own up. And I come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need—I did that wrong. I blew that one. I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. I should have said this. I shouldn't have said that. And I'm sorry. And then where appropriate, I make apologies to the people that I've offended. And when I do that, it is incredibly freeing. And fear has nothing then to get a hold of. Of. In other words, the bottom line of this first part of the antidote is you'll never be released from the spirit of fear until you experience the grace and forgiveness of God. Because guilt and fear are always tied together. If you want first John 4:18 to be true for you, then you first have to live in the awareness of God's love for you. But then there's a second part to it, and that is that we have to offer that same love to somebody else. I heard somebody say some time ago that there are, only, there are really only three ways that you can move in life. You, you can move against something in anger. You can move away from something in fear. Or you can move towards something in love. If you ever saw a mother rush into a building ablaze with flames. You don't wonder why she's doing that if you know her child is in there. Of course, her love for her child overwhelmed her fears of the fire. That's just how it works. Hear me, the power of love always overcomes the power of fear. The power of love always overcomes the power of fear. Do you understand why? Do you understand why love is the antidote, particularly receiving God's love and giving God's love? You understand why that's the antidote to the spirit of fear? It's because the root of fear is preoccupation with myself. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to fail. I don't want to look bad. I, 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 and love gets the focus off of myself onto others. And the result is fear no longer has a foothold. That's why the first ingredient to God's antidote to the spirit of fear is love. The second ingredient then is power. For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind read through the Bible you will see amazing demonstrations of God's power you will see him demonstrate power over storms over evil spirits over all kinds of diseases physical and mental you'll see him display power over death not just the resurrection of Jesus but others that were risen uh, from the grave as long as you think though that your problem is bigger than your God guess what You're going to live scared. You have to believe that God has the power to do something about the circumstances you're facing before fear can ever flee. I remember some time ago, there's so many examples, but one that went through my mind as I was preparing to share with you was was a training that I was doing in Raleigh uh, some time ago with a group of church planters. And I was talking to them about some of the things that they would encounter as they planted a new church and some of the challenges that were associated with it. And, and of course, one of them was eventually you're probably going to want to look for land and buildings, and that can be incredibly expensive, and so you you've got to think through that, pray through that, be prepared for that. And I suggested that when it came time for that, not to rush it, but when it did come time for that, to pray for it before they paid for it. And I told them the story from, from mine and Kim's life, uh, particularly the last church that we planted in Virginia. We came to that place where we had searched the the region for a piece of property. The church was five years old. We'd move several times. We'd grow and move and grow and move and grow and move. And we're looking for a place we can't find anything with any reasonable price range. And so I finally told the congregation, this isn't our problem, it's God's. If he wants us to have land, he'll give it to us or show us how to get it. And so tomorrow morning, I'm calling a prayer meeting and we're just gonna quit searching until he gives us direction. And so the next morning, probably a dozen or so people showed up at six o'clock on a Monday morning and we prayed, God, this is your problem not ours if you want to solve it that's fine we trust you at noon that day a realtor came into my office and said I understand you guys are looking for a piece of property and I said well yeah in fact we are and he said would you be interested in this piece and he showed me an aerial photo of the land that we ultimately bought 25 acres just outside the interstate right off the service road of the interstate and I said well yeah I love that property I've walked that property I've prayed that property but the man wants two and a half million dollars for it he said what if I could get it for 500,000 I said, where would I sign? (laughs) Give me a piece of paper, I'll sign it right now. And God provided that amazing prime piece of property for 20% of market value. Three months later, after we bought it, we were offered $2.5 million for it by an apartment developer. I said, no, 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 this land's in the kingdom of God now. It ain't coming out. You can't have it. Well, I told that story to these church planners, and I said, pray for it before you pay for it. And I could see one of the church planners was getting red in the face, and I don't know what was going on, but I could tell he was having an emotional, almost visceral response. And I said, dude, are you okay? He said, I don't believe it. I said, what do you mean? He said, I don't believe that story. I said, well... I can show you the documentation. I can show you the offer letters. I can show you the, the closing papers. I can show you the, ta- the tax valuation. I can show you the documentation. He said, then why does it ever happen to me? And I said, as gently and lovingly as I knew how, well, you have to believe it can be before it can be. Does God have power over any problem in your life? somebody say yes quick but you have to believe he does before you will see that operate in your life according to your faith will it be done to you Vance Havner, the cornfield wisdom preacher of the last century said God has dynamite power and yet so many Christians live firecracker lives Which is why Paul prayed for us in Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us. What? Who believe that power is the same As the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. But Pastor Jim, you don't know how big my problem is. No, I don't, but I know how big our God is. Jeremiah 32, 17, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Say it with me. Nothing is too hard for you. Get that problem that you're scared of right now in your mind and say it with me. Nothing is too hard for you. Come on. Nothing is too hard for you. If you want to get out from under the spirit of fear, you first have to walk in an awareness of God's love for you and then give that love at least offer it to somebody else. And then you have to walk in an understanding that he is bigger than any problem you'll ever face. Which leads us to the third ingredient in the antidote. And it is a sound mind. First, 2 Timothy 1, 7, again, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. Mine. I, depending on what translation you read, you may see that word used differently. You may see self-discipline. You may see self-control. There's different expressions. The Greek word is sophronesmo sofernesmo. And sophronesmo really, it, it, it translates all of those. What it, what it literally means, though, lean into it, is it means I will discipline myself to live by facts, not feelings, Self-control, self-discipline, sound mind, whatever term or phrase you want to use in English, so furniture means I will discipline myself to live by the truth, by facts, not feelings. You see, here's the problem. Psychologist tells us that babies are only born with two fears. You tell me if it's true. Two fears. The, the fear of falling from high places. And the fear of loud noises. I know that every baby doesn't fit that description, but the vast majority, you know, I've seen it over and over again. I've done it over and over. Take a little baby and throw them up to catch them, and their first reaction is, <gasps> after a while, they think it's fun and they have fun with it. But, you know, at first it's scary. And, of course, loud noises frighten them as well. Well, Pastor, Mike, my, my kid's got a lot more fears than that. Yeah, but he learned them. She learned them. The good news is when you learn something, you can unlearn that thing. If you took it on board during your lifetime, you can throw it overboard during your lifetime. The problem is that we've learned a lot of stuff that simply wasn't true. Sorry, just wasn't true. And yeah, we, we, uh, we picked it up from parents and from peers and from novels and from movies and on the street and in Sunday school and We picked up ideas about God. We picked up ideas about life. We picked up ideas about communication and how we communicate to one another. We picked up all kinds of stuff over the years and and some of it simply wasn't true. And those people... You know, parents, we hope, peers, friends, Sunday school teachers, pastors, you know, we, we're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to say, hmm, I got a juicy little lie. Let me see who I can get to believe it. Most of the time, we're passing on what somebody told us. But somewhere along the way, we have to stop and evaluate what do I believe and why do I believe it? And is the Bible the source Because the Bible is the only source of truth that has stood the test of time. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle, not one crossing of T or dot in the I will ever pass away from the Word of God. And so when you come to believe the Word and evaluate everything you believe through the lens of the Word of God, that's when fear no longer has a hold. Bottom line, false beliefs have to be challenged if you want to get out from under the spirit of fear. Now, that's what Jesus said. John chapter 8, 31 and 2. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will do what? The truth will set you free. Now, we all love Uh, You know, Hollywood movies, love, the truth will set you free, but there's more to it than that, isn't there? What did he say? If you hold to my teachings, Jesus is the word. If you hold to what I say, the word of God, that's when you're really following me. A disciple is a student, a follower. And when you hold to my teachings and you follow my teachings, that's when you will begin to repattern your thinking, Romans 12, 2 according to the truth of God's Word, and that's when you'll finally be free. When you begin to base your life on the truth, what will the truth do? It will set you free. So when Paul says the third ingredient to coming out from under the cloud of fear or the spirit of fear is a sound mind, he's saying it's a mind that is set on the truth that is God's word. The problem, we'll bring this to a close, is that fear has an amazing way of of distorting our perception of what's really true. Is that true? Which is why my favorite definition of fear is F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. It looks like it's true, it's just not. It's only God's Word that's reliable, dependable. It's the only one. I read a study of fear not too long ago, and here's what they concluded. 40% of fears are about the future of things that never even happen. 30% of fears are about the past, which we can't change. 12% of fears are about health problems that we don't actually have. And 10% are petty fears that aren't worth worrying about. All of them are based in feeling, not fact. Only 8%, according to this study, only 8% of fears are legitimate, and most of them can be dealt with by a sound mind, self-discipline, operating in the truth instead of feeling, a mind that is fixed on God's love, God's power, and God's truth. But as long as I base my life on how I feel or even how things appear, don't be surprised when the spirit of fear reigns. You, you know how simple this is, right? It's not complex. It may sound it the way I'm explaining it to you, but it's really simple. You may remember as a child or you may have a child. Put him to bed at night and he's a little bit nervous about the dark and you put him under the covers and he seems to be doing okay now. I'm, covers protect me, the, you know, Bad guy can't reach under the bed and get me when the covers are on me. This is amazing. Covers are powerful things, right? But then they'll see a shape in the dark. And suddenly they're screaming, Daddy, Mama, there's somebody in my room. How do you help the child deal with that fear? How do you do it? You come in, you turn the light on, You show them it's a shirt hanging in the closet. You tell them the truth. And then you say, you see, there's no monsters here. It's just a shirt. Let's pray that God will give you peace. How do you combat fear? By setting your mind on the truth. And that's what this series is all about. I hope that you'll consider investing with us for the next three weeks, whether it's in person or online. I'm going to talk about the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, fear of commitment. Some of you need to be here. You need to be leaning into this series. Some of you know some people who need to be here. You need to bring them to church with you. Real practical stuff from the Word of God. But for now, here in this moment, how you doing? How you doing? you doing? bottom line is when we walk in the spirit of love, God's love for us and our willingness to offer that love to somebody else. The spirit of power. God is bigger than any problem in our lives. The spirit of a sound mind, self-discipline. I will set my mind on the truth, not false evidence appearing real. That's when peace reigns. So let me just read a couple of verses to you and we'll close. David, who had a lot of fears, had a lot of guilt, a lot of stuff in his life, wrote these two Psalms. Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in how I feel. What? It's not what it says, is it? When I'm afraid, read it with me, I will put my trust in you. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he, read it with me, delivered me from all my fears. I don't want any of us to live under the cloud of fear. Fear itself is not bad. causes us to stop and take a look, be intentional about risks. But the spirit of fear has all kinds of problems. So let's take the antidote. Will you pray the antidote with me? Will you do that? Maybe online right now. Just pray the antidote with me. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for giving us a solution to the spirit of fear that creates all those problems, paralyzing and sabotaging, making us miserable. So here we are today, Lord, wanting the antidote to that poison. So we're going to pray in faith, believing that it's real. and We're going to overcome our fears because of it. So here we go. Let's pray together. Pray out loud. Pray silently. I don't care. Make it your own words. That's fine. I don't want to live under the spirit of fear anymore. I choose to live In the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind, I choose the Holy Spirit over the spirit of fear. Thank you for your power and your peace as I walk in that choice. In Jesus' name.